0: I remember the first Bruce Springsteen concert I ever went to, mm. and I came back from the concert mean, this would have been, this would have been 1978. And I said to my dad, I, I just saw God, I mean, this guy is amazing. It's unbelievable. It was the most unbelievable experience to go see him live. And my father said, well, you'll know if he really is extraordinary if your kids are listening to him. And that always stuck with me.
1: I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers and just plain cool people about music. Our guest today is David Solomon, chairman and CEO of a little company you might have heard of called Goldman Sachs. David, who took over as CEO of the firm in 2018, is credited with making company culture more humane for its employees. That's nice. Uh, Changing the average work week for bankers from 90 hours to just 70. Let that sink in for a moment. And somehow in his work week... David finds the time to also be an electronic dance music DJ. That's right, Wall Street's most powerful CEO moonlights as the EDM DJ, DJ D. Saul. He's pretty good, too. David is a three-time Billboard dance charting artist with his 2019 single Feel Alive reaching number four on the charts. His debut single, a remix of Fleetwood Mac's Don't Stop, has millions of Spotify streams, as does his single Learn to Love Me. With One Republic frontman Ryan Tedder, who I interviewed a few years ago. He's open for some of the biggest EDM artists in the world, including Tiesto, uh, Marshmallow, and more. And his most recent track with the production team, Somebody, is called Dreaming. David, wow, that was a lot. That was a big introduction. I hope I got everything right. Welcome to the Sound of Success.
0: You did a great job. I mean, very, very generous and a great, great job.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I've got so many questions about your DJ career, but first up, how did you get into the world of electronic? dance music
0: well i've always loved music but music as a consumer of music mm. but 10 12 years ago i was spending time out in las vegas business wise and the business was changing because these clubs were being built mm. uh, and the clubs were really being driven by dance music and djs and a whole dj culture and yeah. I, I hadn't been into a club in you know 15 20 years right my kids were in high school but uh the the economic model was changing it was doing some business work there, and I wound up um, inside a club at the Win one night, uh, the club was called Trist, it's now uh, it's now called Intrigue, the, right. the world evolves, and I just loved the house music and the dance music, and I wasn't familiar with it, and I started exploring it a little bit personally, and I found I really enjoyed listening to it, and I wanted to learn more about it, and I was introduced to Paul Oakenfold, who you must know. You Legend. Know, and, and Paul and I had coffee, and we kind of hit it off, and Paul started teaching me to DJ, started teaching me about, you know, about house music and dance music and it just kind of rolled from there. It became a hobby and because of my professional career, at some point that hobby became visible and yeah. I either needed to stop or keep working at it. So right. I, I, decided to keep doing it it's yeah. been, it's been a great, it's been, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I get real joy when I'm DJing and I'm in front of it's, 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 it's joyful in a way that's very, very hard to describe, but I'm lucky enough that I can do it. Any money I make from it goes to charity hundred percent and, um, and I'm having a little bit of fun.
1: Yeah, I can tell you're having fun because I've seen some of the the footage out there of you performing. Let's ask about your record label, Payback Records. I understand, uh, as you mentioned, that all the proceeds go to charitable organizations. What are some of the causes and issues that Payback is supporting?
0: Um, The the biggest issue that Payback has been supporting is addiction. Um, And addiction broadly, I've been lucky in my life not to have real direct personal Mm. attachment Mm. to that issue with direct family members. but. I've had friends, I've, I've watched, I've observed, and I kind of look across our country and around the world. And it's a huge issue and it, it affects everybody. It affects all economic strata. It affects, doesn't matter where you come from, you know, addiction is present and it's just not getting enough attention. And so as I started to do this and I saw there was going to be an opportunity to give back, I kind of focused on, on thinking about addiction. And there are a handful of organizations that I've supported that are really working to find more constructive ways to help people with addiction, to help the families that are involved with addiction. Shatterproof, for example, is an organization that I've spent a bunch of time supporting, and it's moved from there. During COVID, we tried to get some money to organizations that needed help during the pandemic, frontline healthcare workers, and also obviously keeping people fed, No Kid Hungry and organizations like that. But just trying to use the platform to try to find a way to give back a little bit. And so we created this record label, Payback right. Records. Right. Generally, all the labels done so far is put out and produce my music with the exception of one track so far. Oliver Heldens put out a track okay. about, about addiction called Break This Habit right. last year that he put out on Payback where the proceeds of that track that are graphic. going to charity. And I've, I've been talking to some other artists. I'd like to find a way to get some other artists onto the platform. As you know... Record deals are complicated for people to go to other sure. labels, but obviously for charity or good cause. Yeah, you can sort of twist we, people's we can, arms. We, can, yeah. we can do it. So we are hope to make some progress. We're spending a little time thinking about mental health too, which coming out of the pandemic, I think is another issue that just deserves a lot of attention.
1: Well, super important. Uh, not that it hasn't been, but as you pointed out, we've really become aware of mental health issues much more than we were, I think, uh, two years ago as a result of the pandemic. And good for you on the addiction thing as well. I, I'm in recovery myself and have been on and off for a while now, but you know, that's the thing with addiction. It's just something that, you know, you're an addict. That's, yeah. It's a disease. So anything that people can do to broaden the outreach about addiction really, cause it's not just about getting people clean and sober. As you mentioned, it's about families. It's much bigger and the economic fallout from addiction people who, you know, can't work, don't show up for work, screw up at work or whatever. So. Uh, that's impressive. And
0: support, support infrastructure. I mean, one of the things that makes a real difference when you've got someone you're close to in your family that is an addict, it's a hugely complex issue. It affects the whole family. Devastating. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's lots more that can be done. And obviously with what's happened with prescription drugs, et cetera, it's a real present issue.
1: Yeah, I did just read something that said that there were more people died of, you know, drug overdoses in the last year than, than ever before during COVID when everybody's sitting around with nothing to do.
0: I just saw that article. I think, I think you know, last year in the United States, um, it was over 100,000 people, which right. is unnecessary. We should be able to do better. Now, obviously,
1: COVID put a huge dent in nightlife and and club culture, which we're slowly coming out of. Did the pandemic lead to cancelled gigs for you? Did you have work all lined up? And- well,
0: it's I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't call it work. Yeah, <laughs> fair it's, enough. It's a hobby, and yeah. I I do it because gigs. I really enjoy. Did you have it. gigs lined up? But I did. I had some stuff as COVID started. I had some stuff lined up. Um, but my my goal, if I can play, ten to twelve times a year, hmm. you know, so once a month, just given my my day job, yeah, it sure. times be quite consuming. If I can, if I can play 10 to 12 times a year, that'll be great. And as we're coming out of the pandemic, I've started playing publicly again. I played Miami just last weekend. Nice.
1: And that, so. how did it feel?
0: Uh, it felt great.
1: Good to be out. <laughs> it
0: felt great. And, you know, I've got a handful of things lined up and, uh. We'll try to do it once a month, make a difference, give back, and have some fun.
1: Do you have a favorite club in New York City uh, where you live? Do you ever go out to Bushwick? Could, could someone expect to bump into you at the House
0: of Yes, for example? Well, they probably won't bump into me at the House of Yes, but I occasionally <laughs> get out and and get around to listen. You know, I travel a lot. I'm not always in New York. But actually, I played a bunch at a, at a small club in Brooklyn, you know, pre-COVID called Shemansky. Um, right. And, I've, you know, I've, I've gone out to listen to Brooklyn Mirage, and so I'll get out and around a little bit occasionally. You,
1: you mentioned uh, earlier on in this conversation that when you first were doing it, you were just sort of doing it for fun. And then people found out that the guy who was running this massive organization was also DJing. Did you think about stopping at that time? Did you think about, well, maybe it's not good for the business or the image or, or I mean, how did you deal with that? I mean.
0: Honestly, Nick, I did think about it. I, I thought about it, and um, and I got all sorts of advice from all sorts of people at the time. I was not yet; I was the president of Goldman Sachs. I wasn't the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Right. When it became visible, and, and I didn't know I'd be the CEO of Goldman Sachs, but there were all sorts of people that were telling me, "Oh, you can't do that. It'll hurt your chances. You know, pr- your career professionally. You can't." Mm. And I thought about it, and I said, "I enjoy this. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not breaking any laws. Sure. I'm having fun. It's kind of part of who I am. Why should I stop doing something I'm really enjoying?" Maybe if I work at it, I can do a little bit more with it and have some fun. And it's a great, you know, I think our minds work in a way where you you kind of got left brain, right brain. You've got this, I've got this very analytical side of my mind that Mm. really helps me with my business professional career, but I've never really had a lot of opportunities in my life to stimulate kind of an artistic creative side of my brain. And I actually find it's really makes me feel good. And it helps me, you know, it, it helps me relax in a really positive way. Does it feel like
1: you suddenly discovered your inner artist sort of later on in life?
0: I don't know what I've discovered, but let me tell you, it's fun. It's interesting. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm meeting new people. I'm meeting different people. You know, I said to you, we're walking up the stairs here to come into the studio. I'm turning 60 um, in just a couple of months. And, you know, to be at this stage of my life and doing something new and learning and growing and getting better at it. So important. Exploring something, you know what? It it, it keeps you young, it keeps you vibrant. And and I'm lucky to be able to do that.
1: A a few years ago, I read something one night, I was in a hotel in New York and I was reading the New York Times. And I think it was around about Christmas time. I like to go to the city for Christmas because you know, it's just amazing, right? Rockefeller Plaza and all that. Beautiful. And and I was reading something in, in the Times that was talking about, as you get older, you've got to exercise your brain. You've got to exercise your brain. And the two examples that this article gave was, uh, it's never too late to learn a language and it's never too late to pick up a musical instrument. And it's so true uh, because I know, because I actually picked up a guitar at that time, something that I had always been put off as as a kid. I wasn't very good at it, I was discouraged. And look, I've been in the music business a long time. And all of a sudden I picked up a guitar and I was like, you know what, you're right. And I started to learn how to play guitar. And for somebody who, you know, I'm around about your age, somebody who's a little bit older, It just felt so good to be learning something new. And I think that's such an important part, at least for me, of life, is you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep
0: learning. You've got to keep growing and evolving. And it sounds like that's something that you're doing with Totally, totally agree with you. You have to keep your brain moving. You have to stay active. Mm -hmm. And you've got to always be in a place where you're trying to learn new things, you're trying to meet new people. You're trying to be open to being exposed to things you haven't been exposed to. I think uh, if we can all do a little bit of that, you know, the world world will be a happier place.
1: You have two adult daughters. Are they fans of of your music?
0: Uh, They are. I've got two daughters who are in their late twenties. One of them lives out here in LA. The other lives back on the East coast. Mm. And um, I think they enjoy my music. But the thing that I'm really flattered by is that when they're together with their friends, sometimes they ask me to DJ for them. And, you know, that's, that's it's cool. You know, if I can make my Mike make kids happy, you know, I'm super happy.
1: Do do you ever do uh the, the holiday party? Do you do any
0: gold Goldman Sachs events? I haven't, or... haven't done any of that. You know, it's dance house music. I um you know, one of the things I'm when I when I DJ, I do a lot of is I sample old music mm. and I sample it with kind of hard modern club drops. Mm. And um, you know, it's 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 a certain kind of music for a certain kind of thing. I don't know if it fits a work holiday party, but it's it's a lot of fun. And I just, I love the connection of old music with new, you know, with new music. Yeah, I mean, connecting, that, that connecting me, the connecting dots. Connecting old and yeah. new is is really neat. And it's neat to see. My father said to me, Nick, this is really amazing. Before I ever knew I'd be that interested in music. I remember the first Bruce Springsteen concert I ever went to. Mm. And I came back from the concert. And this would, have been, this would have been 1978. I came back from the concert. It was right after we put out Darkness. And, you know, I said to my dad, I, I just saw God. I mean, this guy is amazing. It's unbelievable. It was most unbelievable experience to go see him live. And my father said, well, you'll know if he really is extraordinary if your kids are listening to him. And that always stuck with me. And I yeah. think it's really true. And so one of the things that's cool today is that when you sample something, you know, that can be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Sure. Yet you see Young people that are in their 20s responding and also knowing the words and singing along. I mean, that's one of the things yeah. that digitization has done with music. It's opened up an ability to share generations of music, you know, much more broadly. It's very, it's very cool.
1: Well, and through sampling as well, if the sample is something that really connects, then people go and discover that artist as yes. well. And as you said, with uh, with streaming in particular, obviously, yeah. we have access to pretty much everything at this point. I'm going to step away from music just yeah. very briefly, and then we're going to come back to our sort of little Proust questionnaire. Sure. In addition to music, I know that you've you've also found time to do a little acting. You appeared as <laughs> you appeared as yourself. So I don't know if it's acting, but you that was hardly acting. <laughs> I've appeared as myself. I don't think it counts. But look, you you were in an episode of Billions last summer. I'm going to go from uh, I think that's on Showtime, right? I'm going to it's go from Showtime to HBO because. That show, Succession. Do you, do you watch that that I show,
0: Joel? I do watch Succession. I think it's I think it's hugely entertaining. Do you, do you think that show is 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 realistic? I think that show is a fantasy world. Right. It's a caricature of something people imagine. Right. When they think about certain aspects of the business world, the media business world. Right. But it's to me. It's completely fictionalized fantasy world. See, that's what we wanted uh, to find. We we're and, trying to figure okay. out if,
1: like, you know those any of those people. But uh, the, the helicopters are real, though, right? Well, I've,
0: I've met I've met Nicholas Braun, you know, Great. You know socially, and yeah. he's he's a super interesting, fun guy. But um, it's fiction. It's a caricature of people's imagination of what a certain world might look like, and that's one of the reasons why I think people really enjoy it because yeah, it's it's, it's fantasy land. It's yeah. fun. All
1: right, let's jump into our questions. Um, What's your first musical memory? for example, a song you heard on the radio or something that maybe your parents
0: were playing when you were a kid. Well, it, 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 it ties to my parents. My parents in their bedroom had this television, small television. This would have been the late sixties, small television with an eight track tape player at where'd the bottom you, of it. Where'd you grow up I grew up outside of New York City. Okay. I grew up in, 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 in a town called Hartsdale, New York, outside sure. of New York City. And, you know, I remember my father had a stack of eight track tapes. Right. And the first music that I remember, you know, listening to was, it was, it, it's kind of an amalgamation of two extremes. It was Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. And my parents were big fans of Burt Bacharach as a songwriter. Love Burt Bacharach. And, you know, memories of Dionne Warwick, sure. you know, singing Burt Bacharach. Yeah. And, and memories of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. Right. And then also on the eight track, the musical Hair. Which would have been like 1968, 1969. Yeah, 68, yeah. and yeah. those are a kind of a combination. I remember sitting in my parents' bedroom, and that was the music they were listening to. They were listening to Herb Albert, right. and they were listening to the musical Hair. And it's kind of interesting, because that's a range of stuff. When you think nope. of Cher, when yeah. you think about Hair, <laughs> and you think about Herb Albert, yeah. it's, it's it's a little it's bit of range. Yeah. That's my first memory, the eight-track tape going in. Right. You know, this guy's in love with you, Herb mm-hmm. Albert. And I, I recently just popped it on. And it just brings back vivid memories of sitting on the floor in my parents' bedroom, right. you know, listening to an 8-track tape.
1: That's fabulous. And that's the power of music, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's, it's the power of music to hear something and it just takes you, right back. Takes you and, right back. And I was doing a little bit of math there, which I'm not very good at. Obviously, that's your forte. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you were about seven or yeah, something. Yeah, six or seven yeah. is
0: what I would say. That's the first thing that I kind of remember. I can say I remember that song or that music or listening to it. Right. But it's interesting because you think about the musical Hair, you think about musical theater and and that Hair soundtrack, so many interesting tracks in that Hair soundtrack, but there's one track called Ain't Got No. Uh-huh. And there's a, you know, there's a house dance, you know, producer, David Penn, that just put out a year, year and a half ago, a song that basically samples that, and mm-hmm. all sorts of people love the song. Most of them have no idea that it's taking a sample. Exactly, you know, that's fifty, you know, three years old, fifty-four yeah. years old, something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's that. That to me is just so interesting.
1: What was the first music you bought with your own money?
0: So, buying music with your own money, as you all know, meant you had to go to a store and mm-hmm. buy a vinyl album. <laughs> What's
1: one of those things? Well, of course, vinyl's back, but
0: yeah. Vinyl's back.
1: There were record stores on every corner back then.
0: There were record stores, but I, I bought my records at a department store called EJ Corvette, which no longer exists. Mm-hmm. But in, in, you know, my town, I remember riding my bike, you know, down to uh, to Corvette and, and you, records were like two ninety nine or, or or something like that. Mm. And the first... This was interesting because I was thinking about this, because I knew you were going to ask this question. The first record album I bought was the soundtrack from the movie American Graffiti. So it was basically taking music that my father and mother had listened to growing up in the 1950s. And here we were, it must've been 1972, right? you know, something like that. 73, I was, I was 11 and that was the first, you know, album that I bought. The second album I bought was an Elton John album, Caribou was the second album i bought
1: interesting the soundtrack to to american graffiti then was really the, the same kind of music that your parents were listening to you just yes. bought a compilation album i bought
0: it. a compilation yeah album. yeah
1: and and then elton john what what was it about that record that made you want to get I don't, that at
0: 12 I, I don't remember but obviously you know elton john was starting at that point in time you know his music was starting to get really popular yeah. i remember loving the song crocodile rock i loving that, song, that yeah. loving that track But that album, I mean, I just remember there's a picture of Elton John. He's got a funky outfit on, you know, standing on the cover of that album. I don't know why. I must have gone looking through the record racks in EJ Corvette, and I, I picked that album. I don't really remember why. I just remember that that was the, Those are the first two record albums I bought.
1: You know, we're actually doing this episode in a studio in Los Angeles because Mm -hmm. that was the easiest way for us to get together. And we're in the Village Studios. Uh, Elton John has made a ton of music in this studio over the years. Wow. Yeah, before we go, we'll try and find out.
0: One of the great talents of all time. Yeah. So
1: let's move to live music. What about concerts? What was the first concert you went to? Again, again, without parents.
0: Yeah, first concert I went to was, I mean, classic, Led Zeppelin. Oh, man, that was your first that concert? Was my first concert. Okay, let's just had go had home such, now. I had such <laughs> a fight. I had such a fight with my parents because I think it was just before my 16th birthday and such a fight with my parents about going... At the, the, the issue was not going into the city because when I grew up, we used to get on the train and go into the city and, mm. and you know, maybe the world was a little safer, but it was on a weeknight. It uh, uh, was on a school night, yeah. And so I was going into the city to go to Madison Square Garden on a school night. I had such a fight with my parents, but ultimately, but they let they you let go. Me go, and that was the first. And um, and after that, you know, live music events kind of accelerated. How did you? I mean, I I, I never seen sin
1: Led Zeppelin. I, I I saw the Page and Plant things they did about twenty years ago, but I never actually saw Led Zeppelin in concert. I mean, just. Give us a feel for what that was like as a 16 year old kid. And that's your first gig. And it's in Madison Square Garden. First of all, were you in the nosebleed or did you manage to
0: get your way to the front? And I, how, how did you feel watching this? I, I, I wasn't in the nosebleed, but I wasn't anywhere near the okay. front or whatever. We were just in seats someplace. I was with a friend named Greg. And, you know, I was a pretty straight laced kid. And so, like, this was an eye opening experience on many fronts, but it was hard driving. Yeah. Rock and roll, kind of raw, you know, in the extreme. I had never been to a concert before, and I just, I remember just standing there in awe, but I loved, I mean, I loved their music. Pretty good. And, you know, you could barely see them off in the distance, sure. and it's not now, like with all these television screens, so you can see from wherever you are. They're these little stick figures on the yeah, stage. Yeah, 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 you didn't have and to. you hear yeah. the music, and it was loud. And this is, this is 1977,
1: you I said? 1977. So that's that big, big tour they did. Was the that, big, big tour they did. Across you the You know, States. after
0: that album, after the Zofo album. Right? Yeah. yeah.
1: I haven't actually asked this question of a DJ before, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to the answer. What do you listen to when you want to dance?
0: Well, I, I mean, I listen to dance music. And one of, the, one of the things that's just interesting about what DJs do that I've learned or I've come to appreciate, there are things that catch people's you know, attention and their psyche and make them want to dance. Mm. But one of the things that make people want to dance is to have a steady, good backbeat at 125 beats per minute going boom. boom Absolutely, boom. yeah. People dance at about 125 beats per minute. Yeah. And so, you know, if, you, if you've if you got, you know, something that's got that that housey beat under it, people just love to dance. And so, you know, I love sampling old stuff with some of the kind of fun, modern kind of house tracks. So, for example, I've got a mix that I do where we've got Guns and Roses kind of mixed in with Galantis' Runaway. And it's just a very happy, upbeat, exciting, wow kind of sound.
1: Let me ask you this question. It's not on the list, but it's just a little thing that entered my mind as, as you were talking then. Do you, do you dance at home alone? If you're at home and there's nobody around, do you, do you throw on dance music and dance?
0: I I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say that I dance. I would say that I bop. Bop. <laughs> I bop. I, bop you know, bop. sometimes sometimes when I get excited, I do a little dance. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not somebody that... uh you know that um, that puts on the music and is up on the couch, right? Just, my arms just up just and down, it. And just it. Uh, you never know. But you know what? Maybe I should try that. Maybe yeah. you know. Maybe that. Maybe that'd be a good way to unwind. So there's nobody
1: around. I mean, no, come on. No, absolutely. Let's go to the other e- e- extreme of how we feel music. If you're feeling sad, if you're feeling a little melancholy, do you have a favorite artist or album that you put
0: on? It's interesting because when I feel sad, it's not that I want to have melancholy music. If I feel sad, I want to feel happy.
1: So you and put so something I, on to put get you out, out of to it,
0: pick me up and to get me out of the funk and, you know, generally I, I connect it. I connect it to childhood and, and not that little childhood, but kind of high school and mm. being a teenager and the joy of, you know, running around with your friends as a 17, 18 year old. And so I go back to what I listened to in high school. I go back to, I go back to Bruce Springsteen. I go back to Billy Joel. I go back to Elton John. I go back to listening to the who stuff that i remember really excited me when i was younger and it it lifts you up because it, it it brings back all those positive memories
1: is is there a band or an artist that you like that you feel perhaps never quite got the big break that that they deserved somebody that you thought man, wow, they're going to be massive and they just didn't
0: yes for for sure i mean one i'd mention in that genre because i went and i started in the late 70s and early 80s i was going and seeing them a ton with Southside johnny and the asbury jukes right I, you know i got into Bruce Springsteen and that led you to Southside Johnny. I must've gone to see Southside Johnny in the late seventies, early eighties, 15 times. And if you think back at that point, I mean, Bruce Springsteen was starting to go, but Southside Johnny had a pretty good following. You would have thought that Southside Johnny, they'd go as well. And, um, they're obviously, you know, they're hugely connected in their music, but Southside Johnny to this day continues to perform. He's got a great following, especially regional following, you know, in the Northeast, but Obviously, Bruce Springsteen. He took that slot. He took that slot. That, <laughs> that slot. was a good slot. That yeah. was a good slot he took.
1: Sometimes there's only one slot, and he 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 grabbed it. But as you said, they're still still out there, still doing it.
0: And there's also, I mean, I you know, when I was thinking about this, when you were you were asking it, I was thinking about you know what are kind of some of the one hit, you know, wonder things that I still listen to. Mm. And so there was a Canadian band called Martha and the Muffins. Oh, yeah. That had a track called Echo Beach. I remember. And it was like our theme song when we were in college. I mean, we anytime we wanted to start a party... Was that like 1980, 81? It, I, or was, like I was that? in college from 1980 to 1984. I think yeah. that track came out in like 80, 81. Right. And anytime we wanted to start a party, that track, Echo Beach, from Arthur and the Muffins, we put on. And occasionally, when I get together with my... My old college friends. We still we play that track. We'll we'll pull that track out, and that's that's a pretty obscure kind of one hit wonder.
1: It it is indeed, and I and I do remember it. And as soon as you mention it, it's in my head, and I'm, yeah. I'm not going to sing it, obviously, but I'm I'm singing it in my head as well. It's a great track. Check it out, folks. If you don't actually know it, if you weren't around for the '80s, <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff, but there was some good stuff as well. And that kind of leads us almost indirectly into my next question, which is about music video the time you're talking about was also the time when music video started to MTV. take off yep. yeah and obviously that's sort of you know the the heyday has been gone quite some time people do still make uh videos but they don't have the million dollar budgets that they used to have you can make a video for five grand now i mean that's probably a lot as well but do you have a favorite music video or a music video that left a, a mark on you
0: i'll tell you the first thing that comes into my head is yeah my, is the first thing that comes into my head is michael jackson thriller and that, and that video, which was a massively staged production, yeah. you know, was a I, short movie it was, it was a short movie yeah. is, is what it was. But I remember, I vividly remember being in Washington, DC. I spent a semester when I was in college in Washington, DC, and it would have been 1982. And I remember seeing for the first time being in somebody's apartment in Washington, DC and this thing MTV mm. was on television. And, um. This is kind of cool, and it obviously it it, it took off and it's evolved. But I, I remember the beginning; it was such a like such a foreign concept when it first happened. Absolutely, really, it really grew from there. For some yeah. reason, in the back of my head, I I I seem to remember. and I, I think the track probably came out around this time. Another one-hit wonder band, Aha. Oh yeah, and had a song "Take on Me," and I seem to remember a video from that, which I think was early '80s. One of the first. One of the first MTV videos I think I recall ever seen.
1: Genius video, um, because you're remembering it, it was they used drawing. they, yes. so they and, and obviously we didn't have the digital technology that we have now. I mean, somebody actually drew that stuff and they were sort of, you know, going from real life into like sort of drawing, moving animations or whatever. Yeah. It's fantastic. And yeah. And that song, to be quite honest with you, still stands up. Yeah. It really does. And if you hear anybody sort of strip it down and do an acoustic cover of it, you yeah. really see what a great song it was. So that's interesting. Aha. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I know. Um, do you have a band or a song that you've recently discovered? Uh, it's okay if the music is old, but if it's new to you, something that you've recently come across that you would like to share with Alice? Well, I,
0: I recently, I recently was lucky enough, in a very, with a relatively small group of people, to hear Allo Black sing and perform. Mm. And I knew Allo Black, um, but I must say, watching him perform, I was, I was really moved by his performance and by his music. And I've started listening to a little bit more of his music. I like his new album. I think he sings with, you know, with enormous passion. He writes with passion what he does. But what I also love about him is here's a guy that's a classic singer-songwriter that's also collaborating with big DJ acts. He's collaborated with Zed, He's collaborated with Steve Aoki. I mean, he's doing a very rangy group of things, but mm-hmm. also at his heart. He's a very traditional singer-songwriter. When I I think about Aloe Black in some ways and it's very different, but he's he's like Burt Backrack in some ways. And Hal David and these great songwriters and he sings and he was he was hugely moving when I saw him perform recently.
1: He's an interesting cat as well. I used to host a TV show called Guitar Center Sessions on Direct TV and we did a session with him probably five or six years ago, I guess. And he is such a smart, informed guy as well. So it's no no surprise. Super interesting to be, guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that he also has the smarts to be thinking, like, Well if I collaborate with DJs, I mean there's something there, right? That's that's gonna break your career. I mean that's that did break his career. It
0: did break his career. When well, you think about his collaboration with Zed, the old, you know, Sammy Davis Junior Candyman exactly. um, song with just such a modern, uplifting feel, with just such a cool, you know, sampling of that track. Do you
1: have a band or an artist who is a guilty pleasure? And of course, when you reveal it to us, it's no longer a guilty pleasure. But do you have somebody that you're sort of, you know, in the past, you might not tell people that you like, but now you're, you're okay with saying it. It's like, it's like, I like the Bee Gees now, right? I would never have said that in 1977.
0: By the way, I, you know what? I, I, I like the Bee Gees. I think some of their music is, is, is really cool. I don't know. It comes down to, I mean, embarrassing thing. I mean, occasionally, my dad loved Barry Manilow. Loved Barry Manilow. Nothing wrong with Barry Manilow. And occasionally, I'll pop on a Barry Manilow track and I'll think about my dad. Yeah. And driving in the car someplace with my dad blaring... Barry Manilow singing at the top of his lungs. And by the way, he couldn't, he was not, a, he couldn't <laughs> sing. You know, yeah. I write the songs yeah. and, you know, and, and you know, couldn't be happier. And so it's a great, it's a great memory for me of my dad, who unfortunately is not with us anymore.
1: That's a great memory. As you said, you know, interestingly enough, I've been living in Los Angeles, as I mentioned to you for 22, three years now or something. When you live here for a long time, you have your celebrity sightings, right? Everybody who's been here a while say, oh, that was a good one. That time I saw Warren Beatty down at the you know, restaurant or whatever. I remember standing behind Barry Manilow in, in line to get into a movie once. And I had a career here in Los Angeles. I mean, he probably would have known who I was, but I was just so... I was, Barry Manilow. Yeah. <laughs> I am a fan of We've got one question just to finish up, which is, thank you for hanging out with me for the last 30, 40 minutes. How do you feel right now?
0: I feel great. And first of all, thank you for having me. Thank I mean, what, you. A, what a privilege for me to sit and talk music with you. Thank you. Um, and so so thank you. I mean, a- any time you you talk about music you think about music you listen to music music everyone loves music and music makes people happy and music lifts people up and um so you know what, what a privilege to sit here and talk talk music with you it's it's it, it I, I feel great listen the privilege
1: is all mine thank you for coming in and uh hanging and talking about music david solomon on the sound of success
0: great to meet you man. great to meet you thanks so much Nick.
1: Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klain. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and at sparknetwork.com.